Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Steve Fowler, lead pastor, as he begins. Hey, we are uh, re-engaging in our Jesus series. We've been in it. You've been in Bible studies. You've been still doing the studies and uh, just kind of taking a different angle in the month of January. But you'll recall last October, we began uh, really this, uh, this journey of looking at Jesus through the eyes of his first followers. Um, looking at Jesus through guys like John the Baptist, through Nicodemus, through John uh, the disciple, through Matthew the tax collector turned disciple, and, uh, and many stories, and as we have in, in, in many of those cases been asking the question, uh, if that person were here, if we had the, the, the ability to have all 24 of those character studies we're looking at, uh, this year, if we had the ability to have that person come up and, and take the stool and, and answer the question, what, what picture would you paint for us of Jesus? We've, we've learned some things. You've learned some things as you've done the studies, as you've uh, looked at the stories and heard the stories, read the stories, uh, learned of, of who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know who Father God is, then get to know his son. Uh, because he is the image of the invisible God. And we're going to be looking at a story found in Luke chapter 8 tonight. If you want to turn to Luke 8, you can. I'm going to get there in a second and read that text. Uh, there, there are certain locations on our globe that when you mention them, they bring to, uh, bring to mind an, a word, a picture, an idea. Uh, they're, they're placed like, uh, you say, the, say the, the name of the city, Las Vegas, um, there's a certain picture that comes to your mind. Maybe two words, Sin City. Uh, some of you have, have heard that before. Uh, when you hear Las Vegas, you have an idea of what happens in Las Vegas. And, and typically, there's a lot of stuff that, that's uh, pretty bad that happens in Las Vegas. Uh, some of you may know that Amsterdam is quite infamous for being a city that has a, a rampant prostitution. There's a, an infamous red light district. It's got a great heritage as a city, but there's all kinds of problems there in Amsterdam. Go to Thailand. Thailand in our day and age is no longer known as a great vacation spot for nice sunny beaches. They're still there, but now it's infamous for the sex trade. There's a lot of horrible things that happen in, in Thailand. Um, but it doesn't have to be a country. It doesn't have to be a city. It could be a neighborhood. Uh, you can mention uh, like uh, Wall Street. And uh, maybe you're already trying to figure out, well, I wonder how my 401k plan's doing. Or, uh, or, or maybe the, the word greed comes to mind. Uh, in these last couple years of our, our own economy is, is Wall Street and some of the stuff that happens there has hit the news. Uh, a place like, uh, well, back in our country's history, go to, to, to Watts, a very dangerous, violent, uh, impoverished, oppressed neighborhood. Or Beverly Hills, uh, again, a, a place of of extravagant, extravagant ex, ex, expenses. And all these places have their own negative connotations to them, and they're filled with people who, uh, who are struggling in life. And, um, well, they're filled with people who, who need to be set free, much like the stories we heard tonight. We heard some great stories of people being baptized, people who were released from, uh, from bondage, people released uh, from a pattern of life that was destroying them. And there are some people in some pretty dark places around the world who need the touch and the release of Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at a story in Luke chapter 8 in which 
if you were Jewish and you were living in Jesus' day, you would look at this area that Jesus is going to travel to as sort of the, this unclean country, this, this sin city, this location that had a reputation, uh, and Jesus is going to go there. In fact, as we read this story, I'm going to read this story and ask you to follow along. What you're going to see is you're going to see Jesus traveling to an unclean land. He's going to meet an unclean man, as Jewish people would say, unclean land, unclean man. He's filled with unclean spirits. These spirits are going to be cast into an, to unclean animals who are being tended by people who are in an unclean occupation. Kind of get the idea what's happening here tonight? What you're going to see is you're going to see Jesus, you're going to see God going to unclean places and setting people free. Grab your Bible, stand with me as I read this text. Luke chapter eight, beginning in verse 26. The healing of a demon-possessed man. They sailed to the region, verse 26, they sailed to the region of the Gerizines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerizines asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. It's important to know that, I, that Luke in the location of this story has, has placed it in, in in the middle of, of other stories in which he is showing just how all-powerful Christ is. The story right before this one is where Jesus calms uh, the storm. If you like the letter D, these next four letters, the next four words you'll, you'll appreciate. It's memorable. Jesus has power over the deep. 
That's, that's what Luke is saying here. In this particular story, he's got power over, over demons. If you go to the next story, he's going to go back across the lake, and he's going to uh, meet the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Remember the, the, the story that Josh talked about in December? And he has power over disease, and then he's going to raise a uh, synagogue ruler's daughter back from the dead. He's got power over death. Jesus, power over the deep, over demons, over disease, and over death. This is the all-powerful Jesus. And his ministry is happening in Israel. In fact, Ron, can you show that picture up there? Because I want to just give you an idea of where he's traveling. The Decapolis would be on the east side of the Jordan River and the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And if you can read that map, you'll see cities or little villages that will, be, will remind you of some of the stories of Jesus' ministry. Like Nain, right below Nazareth, south of Nazareth. That's where he raised a, a, a widow's son back from the dead. Uh, Nazareth, there's Cana where the wedding took place, and then there's Capernaum where there's a, uh, a lot of activity happening in Capernaum, and then you cross the lake to the other side and you start seeing some of these Decapolis cities, and these are 10 Roman cities. Uh, I've actually seen ruins of one of them, huge cities. The, don't think small hamlets uh, or you know, thatch roofs, think bustling city, these, these Roman 10 Roman cities, these Decapolis, and Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee and he's going to a territory that Jews wouldn't go to because it's unclean land, it's Gentile territory. This, this is an unclean land and so Jews wouldn't go there, but Jesus, he's exhausted, he's done ministry and some, some of you know this, you, you've been working full time, you're serving lots of hours and you're exhausted. You, you just, as soon as your head hits the pillow, you're out and this is what life has been like for Jesus. He's been so busy. He gets in a fishing boat. They're going across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is asleep. Now, try sleeping in a fishing boat when it's, when it's on, the, on the land or tied up to a dock. Jesus is asleep in this boat as it's crossing the sea. And as you know, the story is a storm comes up, and he's still asleep. He's exhausted, and if you didn't, if we hadn't read the story, or if you didn't know the story, you would think Jesus being in this season of ministry exhaustion, that when he got to the other side, he'd be handed a nice, white, fluffy robe, and he'd be taken to a spa, and he'd be given a drink with an umbrella in it, and he could just kick back for a while. But no, he gets to the other side, and what he encounters will make your skin crawl or the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Because Jesus, as, as the, he calms this storm, the boat pitches up onto the, the, the land there on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and as Jesus steps ashore, here comes this man running at him. You picture this. In fact, three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all tell the story. You can pull pieces from each story. You have a naked man... Naked man with like a ZZ top beard, okay, because he's, he's been living in the cemetery, cemetery. He's been living in the tombs, and don't think like cemetery like we see. Think caves, okay, an unclean location. He's living in the tombs, and he is running at Jesus and screaming at the top of his lungs. He's screaming at the top of his lungs, coming at Jesus. Jesus is exhausted. He's just stepped ashore. Here comes this crazy Eddie, or whoever he is, coming at him. And I just kind of picture in my mind the disciples starting to pick up driftwood. Don't you? I mean, what are you going to do? And it's here 
if you would let me hit the pause button for a second because in this story of Jesus going to an unclean land, we have some bizarre things happening that revolve around a topic called spiritual warfare. We, we have a, this topic of, of, of demonic possession that sometimes we, we just kind of makes our, our mind kind of blow some fuses. Okay, well, what's this all about? October 2010, just four months ago, in the city of Portland, two police officers are called to a, an apartment building where they're told that there's a woman there who's behaving strangely. They show up and, and, and they take a screen that apparently has been kicked out of a window and they walk the screen up the door uh, to the door and they knock on the door and they're having a conversation with this woman through the door. The door's not open, just talking. She's fine. She's very pleasant. It seems like everything is going to be okay. And they're just leaning the screen up against the side of the apartment there when suddenly they start hearing loud crashes, when they start hearing a lot of noise, the door swings open, the woman is naked, and she's holding a meat cleaver, and she starts swinging at the police officers. The police officers don't shoot. They, it takes two of them to subdue a 61-year-old woman and they get her in the police car. And in the police car, she says, thank God you're here because they've been telling me all day they were coming to kill me. And I remember sitting on the couch watching the news and saying to Trina, that one sounds familiar, doesn't it? The, what's going on here? What, what's happening? Is that, is that like Luke chapter 8 in Portland four months ago? Does, does this kind of stuff only happen in Jesus' time or maybe it only happens in other countries that are spiritually dark? Could it happen in Portland? Yes, it could. And I'll tell you from personal experience, it happens in Salem. It happens here. But here's where we need a little caution. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I think would be good for us uh, to read. Lewis writes, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Mistake number one, disbelieve they exist. Mistake number two, be obsessed with the idea of demonic activity. I think Lewis is very wise there. And as we just hit the pause button on this, this story for a second, I feel like we need to just set a foundation so that we understand what is happening when we talk about demons. You know from probably reading the scriptures that, that in, in places like Ezekiel chapter 25 and in, in Isaiah chapter 14 that Satan was, uh, was named Lucifer and he was in charge uh, in, in heaven with some other angels and he rebelled. He wanted to be like God and there was war in heaven and Satan was kicked out of heaven and sent to earth. And Satan caused rebellion on planet earth. In fact, all of humanity was held captive to sin. God sent his son Jesus and went to the cross. He paid for everyone's sin penalty and set the captives free so that everyone who calls in the name of Jesus might be saved. But yet Satan has had this, though the battle's been won, battle still exists because Satan doesn't want people to know the good news so they might be set free. And so there is this, this spiritual warfare that's taking place. It happens on three battlegrounds, and I just want to lay them out for us because... 
Sometimes this is confusing. The first battleground that this happens, or the first realm that this happens in, is what's referred to in the scriptures as the world. The world is this rebellious culture or this rebellious system that promotes, uh, well, it, it pressures you into living an anti-God life. In fact, we would use words like peer pressure or that's how everyone else does it. Uh, that, that's the world pressing in on us. Now, uh, the scriptures talk about this. They talk about Satan being the God of this world. John writes in 1 John, he's speaking about the world and says in chapter two, verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, Ron's gonna put it up on the screen here, says for everything in the world, that's this realm, this battlefield, everything in the world, the, the cravings of sinful man, what he's gonna do here is he's gonna define the world for us. Everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has does not come from the Father, but from the world. That is a great definition of this battlefield, this realm of spiritual warfare called the world. Everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has, pride, is the world. Paul, Romans chapter 12, verse two, uh, says that, that don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Don't get squeezed in this pattern. That word pattern literally means schematic or scheme. Don't live your life to the scheme or the pattern of this world because this is the first realm of spiritual warfare. The second one is simply the flesh. When you gave your life to Christ, you were given a new heart, a heart of flesh. And yet there's this tension within us where the, the old self wants to rise and reassert itself. Yet you've been given the spirit, and now you've been told to live by the spirit. Now Paul, in Galatians, we, I think we have that verse too, don't we, Ron? Let's throw that up there. Galatians 5, Paul says, so I, live, so I say live by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature of the flesh. Okay? For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. There's this tension in you that, that you don't do what you want. So don't, don't gratify the, the lust of the eyes, the cravings of the flesh. Live by the spirit. Uh, author Clinton Arnold uh, puts it this way uh, in, in one of his books. He says, as Christians, we are new creatures and the compelling influence of the flesh has been broken by Christ's death on the cross. Nevertheless, this inner compulsion, compulsion continually seeks to reassert its claim and we can only resist it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. That's just the, the, the old us trying to take back territory. Battlefield number one, world. Battlefield number two, the flesh. Battlefield number three, you've got Satan. John chapter 10, verse 10, gives us his mission statement. His mission statement is to steal, kill, and destroy. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, gives us another description. 
Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's why it's important to lay this out. Because not every time that you have this desire, this evil thought, this unclean idea, is it some demonic activity. Often, it's a result of living in a world that has its own pattern of doing life. It could be the old you trying to reassert itself, or it could be, it could, you could be a demonic temptation. Or it might be all three, tag demon. But take heart, for Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And your heart of stone has been turned into a heart of flesh. And now you, you can live by the Spirit of God. And the devil is a defeated foe. In fact, he knows that he has an appointment. In fact, you'll see that in the story. When the demons say to him, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing here? What are you doing here before the appointed time? What's this demon saying? He's saying, it's not time yet. What are you, you're freaking us out, Jesus. What are you doing here? But when you look at these three battlefields and you think about the kind of things that happen in our day and age, how do you know when it's satanic attack, when it's a demonic attack? Because a story like this, if you've got a crazed person who's naked and who's running around, the scriptures tell us in Mark chapter five that he's roaming the hillsides, this demonic man, he's roaming the hillside, he's crying out, he's howling. He's taking stones and he's cutting himself with stones. He's in torment. He's living in tombs. He's at, at least once, he's been chained down and put under guard and he's physically broken the chains. And the guards have probably run for their lives. So does he have a mental illness? Or is he demonized? Because that's, sometimes that's what we, we, what we do. Is that, well, that, that's, they call that demonization, but today it's mental illness. There are some of you in this room who have relatives that have been diagnosed with mental illness. And not every mental illness is demonic. It's illness. And some of you are suffering terribly Maybe you've been diagnosed. Maybe you have a daughter. Maybe you have a son. Maybe you have a, a, somebody you know has been diagnosed with a mental illness and it is awful. And I want to say to you, my heart breaks. As, even as I was thinking this week, my heart broke for you and I prayed for you. Not every mental illness is a result of some demonic activity. But there are some that are a result of it. So how do you know? I'm not saying that this is true across the board, but there's something that I've practiced. One of the ways you know is that you just bring Jesus into the room and watch what happens. Because all throughout the Gospels, whenever Jesus shows up, you know right away what's going on. So don't sit here in this room. You've been diagnosed bipolar or you've got a friend that's diagnosed bipolar. Don't walk out of here saying that Steve Fowler said they're demon-possessed. <laughs> I don't need any more emails. You may need healing, and it's just a physical healing. But maybe there's someone you do, you do know that needs the touch of Jesus, like this man got a touch from Jesus. 
Now, I'm running out of time here, so let me just put this and fast forward, and you buckle your seatbelts, because here's what's going on in the story. Jesus hits the ground. This man's running at him. This is a bizarre scene, and this demon begins talking. What the demons do is they overtake. I've seen this. They overtake someone's personality, and they begin speaking, and they, they're ruling. They're demonizing this person, and they start begging Jesus to not send them to the abyss. They know there's a day coming, a day of torment. They know hell is real. They know hell is real. Don't send me there, Jesus. What are you doing here before your appointed time? And they begin begging Jesus to send them into a herd of pigs. Remember, Jesus, unclean location, unclean man, living in an unclean location, the tombs, and he's about to send these demons into an unclean animal, which are the pigs, who are being tended by those engaged in an unclean, from the Jewish perspective, an unclean occupation. And Jesus says, yes, go into the pigs. And so these demons, that their name, they, they said their name is Legion. A Roman Legion would have been about 5,500 to 6,000 soldiers. Now, demons are typically liars, so we don't know if there's 5,000 or 6,000. We know there's a lot, right? Because they go into the pigs, and 2,000 pigs book it down a, a steep hill, and they jump into the lake, and pigs can't swim or fly, and they drown. <laughs> and it's here, sometimes people get a little hung up and like, Man, that seems wrong. Those poor pigs. Raise your hand if you've ever eaten a pork chop, ever had a pulled pork sandwich or bacon. Okay, you don't have a right to be offended by that, okay? Here's what I think is going on. Some scholars think that the reason that he goes into the pigs is because Jesus is taking care of a couple problems here. He's getting rid of these unclean animals that are being tended by those in an unclean occupation. And, so, and he's healing this guy. So he's taking care of all these things at one time. I don't think that's what's going on. What I think is going on is Jesus is setting this man free. There's thousands of demons that are leaving, going into pigs who are running down the hill. Because later on in the story, he's going to be commissioned to go tell his story, right? He's going to go to the Decapolis, these ten cities, and tell this story over and over again. And by the way, there's a church planted there. Lots and lots of people, from what we know from history, came to Christ. He's going to go there, and as he's telling his story, and someone says, ah, I don't buy it, I don't believe it. Thousands of demons, I, I don't, and he can show the scars of being cut by, cut by stones. I don't believe it. Then what he can say is, tell you what, you go over to Gerizah, and you ask them the, about the day the pig market crashed. <laughs> you go over there and you, you, you ask them. I think what Jesus has done here as he's given this man a visual testimony that he's been delivered. If there's any question in his mind that he's been delivered, all he has to do is remember 2,000 squealing pigs going down the hillside into the lake. And if there's any doubters out there, they can just book a trip to Gerizah and they can ask somebody, is it true that 2,000 pigs ran and jumped in a lake and drowned? And I'm sure they'll tell the story because these pig herders run back to the village because get this, this is a significant loss. This is like demons being sent into a, a Ford dealership and 2,000 Ford trucks have just driven off the lot into the Willamette River, okay? This is a big deal. This is memorable. And this guy is legendary. He's legendary. And they're telling the, the people in the countryside, they come running out, they see, they hear the whole story. They're petrified because there's Crazy Eddie. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's not naked. And he's in his right mind. 
And what's their response? Like Iris, praise God, right? No, they are scared out of their wits. And then they hear the story, and Luke says, then there's more fear that comes on them. And what do they say? Go away, Jesus. Go away. Notice what they don't say. They don't say, Jesus, come to our town. We have so many people who need you. I know somebody else who needs you to set them free. They don't say that. They, this whole supernatural experience has, has scared them to the point where they just simply say, go away, Jesus. Go away. And what does Jesus do? He gets in the boat and he leaves. Jesus goes to an unclean land and he casts out thousands of unclean spirits. The devil is cast out and the people cast out Jesus. Interesting turn of events, isn't it? But when things happen that you can't naturally explain, that's at times where we land. Look, Jesus goes to unclean places. He sets his feet on unclean land. He interacts with with unclean people who are filled with unclean things, who are living in unclean places, perhaps engaged in a job that is... That word literally means to be defiled and impure. But Jesus doesn't stiff-arm the world. He doesn't stiff-arm the world because here is where people live that need to be set free. Whether they've been cutting themselves with stones and running around naked, or whether they've been working in a cubicle, or a cashier at a grocery store, or a school teacher, wherever they're at, Jesus Christ goes there to unclean land, to unclean people, to set them free. And whether it's across the street in your neighborhood or across the globe as a missionary, people need to be set free. You've been listening to Steve Fowler, lead pastor at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m. and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Street.